It's Good Canada, I'm Peyton Smith, and this is The Stew. With Canada's food system continuing to grow and innovate, understanding what information is credible, who to trust, and how to feed ourselves and our families can be incredibly confusing. That's why I'm here, to share relevant information on food topics you care about most with the help of experts. Our guest spent her first career client-side successfully connecting brands with consumers and retailers at Procter & Gamble, Unilever, and Cadillac Fairview. As a divisional president of Molson Coors and a member of its North American Management Board, she led the charge to sell more beer profitably. Now, leading the agency she co-founded, she continues to build powerful strategies for food and beverage products in Canada, the U.S., and Europe. She works hands-on with the Nourish team, guiding the creation of marketing plans that move products off shelves and into consumer shopping baskets, and perhaps, most importantly, into their hearts. She currently appears as a food marketing expert in the international TV documentary series, Eat Me or Try Not To, airing on Curiosity Stream. So let's dive in. If you could please introduce yourself, where you're talking to us from, and share your pronouns. Sure. Uh, Joanne MacArthur, president founder of Nourish Food Marketing. I am working from home today, so I'm in my uh, home library, and my pronouns are she, her. Amazing. Thanks, Joanne. So glad to have you on today. I reached out to explore new trends in the food system and what consumers can expect moving forward. Now, your organization develops these trends for the food industry to try to keep up, but I thought it'd be great to share them with this audience too, the ones that they're truly about. So to start off, can you share what your organization does, how you started developing these annual trends and why? Sure. So uh, I like to say uh, we're an ad agency that knows a lot about a little. So we just (laughs) work uh, with food and beverage clients, but across the whole food ecosystem. Uh, And because we work with everyone from commodity groups through to retailers, food service, um, producers, processors, consumer packaged goods, it gives us kind of a privileged view of the whole food ecosystem and how trends move through that. So we started doing this uh, seven years ago as kind of our gift back to the industry. Amazing. So for the data nerds out there, can you share the methodologies behind the development of the trends? Sure. And I'm a data nerd as well. So yeah. Uh, So we've got a lot of uh, in-house proprietary databases. Uh, We also uh, do some primary, secondary research. Uh, And, uh, you know, we're just always watching, uh, learning, uh, working across several categories. And uh, we never share any proprietary knowledge. uh, But we do, you know, it just, we're able to connect dots that maybe others might not see because of that. Uh, And we also do some uh, industry-specific trend reports beyond just, you know, what you see in terms of the overall. We'll go down and look at, for different clients, what it means to their particular sector. Got it. Okay, so the good stuff, the actual trends. If you're good with it, I wanted to throw each of the 2023 trends at you and explore each of them and what consumers can come to expect in these different areas. So the first one, the rise of reductor um, so trading either or for everything but less. Excuse my uh, pronunciation of the term there. It's a mouthful. Uh, reducitarianism is there how we I go. say it. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, go, you know, that comedy improv concept of and rather than either or. So, okay. you know, we tend to frame things as 
or. Um, but I think uh, reducitarianism is about not becoming a vegetarian or a vegan. It's just about combining meat and plant-based proteins in a way that reduces your uh, meat consumption. Uh, and, you know, we've seen, you know, the faux meats. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have tried those, the Beyond Meats, the Impossible Burgers. Uh, and there was a lot, a lot of people who were very curious about them. So we saw a really big uh, growth. Um, they've leveled off. And in fact, mm-hmm. that some of their sales are, are falling um, because they're very processed products. Right. So I think people are sort of relooking uh, how they're eating, and they're going back to some of those whole food proteins. We're seeing, you know, the rise of blended burgers, especially in a high inflation environment. It's something mm-hmm. you know our parents and grandparents used to do, right? To extend the meatloaf, yeah. uh, adding oats or mushrooms. Um, so we're seeing more and more of that. So not necessarily cutting out meat or a certain product in, in overall, but just kind of reducing those or having different options. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Diving into the next one, good eats, better sleep. So the role of food as a sleep aid to promote overall well-being. Yeah, so we've seen, you know, during COVID, everybody was focused on not getting sick. Right. Now we're all focused on getting well, getting healthier again. Mm -hmm. And there's been lots of research, and I think consumers are realizing that the true foundation of health is getting enough sleep. Like we all used to brag about how little sleep we could get by on. Yeah. And those days are gone, especially with uh, a time of wearables. A lot of people have, you know, a watch or a ring that gives them that feedback loop of how well they slept. Right. And uh, so uh, we we see um, lots of investment going in there. I'm sure uh, your listeners, some of them have bought in sleep aids like weighted blankets or no blue lights or things like that. Um, but there, you know, there is a rule for food and beverage here. Uh, we haven't seen any investment in this area. It's all been about, um, goods, but I think you couple this with people trying to reduce the amount of alcohol that they Mm -hmm. drink as well. So I think there's a role for perhaps a new nightcap, uh, with nightcap in, in air quotes, Mm -hmm. um, for, uh, you know, to help consumers sleep better. And there's also lots of uh, foods out there that have some naturally occurring um, tryptophan or magnesium that that aid in sleep. And I think we may start to see some uh, call-outs on package labels as well. Okay. When I read that, I was very excited. I was like, Joanne's going to tell me how I can sleep better. What are all these foods that I need to eat? And I'm sure the audience is thinking the same thing. Do you have an example of something high- and yeah, so blueberries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But nobody knows it. So yeah, there's there's lots of foods, you know, in the produce aisle that uh, you can pick up that are that are high in these things. Um, you know, um, mushrooms have magnesium. These are all sleep aids. So yeah, just thinking about it that way. Amazing. Okay, diving into the next one. So it says this one's for the ladies. Female food is a missed opportunity we can no longer overlook. Explain that one. Yeah. So we're both women. (laughs) We have been treated like smaller men um, for centuries, basically. Um, And when uh, Lululemon came out with their latest uh, sneaker, uh, it's actually the first time a sneaker's been designed 
from the ground up rather than just taking the male sneaker and sizing it down. Our feet are different, right? Our bone structure is different. So, you know, they designed a sneaker for female feet. Um, medical research also has been very focused on men. There have not been, you know, women have been understudied. That's starting to change. So we're starting to th- see things come out of that research. And if you think about it, our hormonal cycles, um, you know, our life stages are very different from men. So I think that opens up an opportunity um, for over half of the population. So huge unaddressed market. And we're seeing things like um, in the U.S. there's something called Moody Girl Chocolate, Okay. Uh, which helps with PMS symptoms. Yeah. Uh, there's some products in the UK um, around um, menopause, premenopause uh, to help with that. Um, in Toronto, we see um, lactation cookies uh, to uh, help women who are having a hard time nursing. So I think there's an opportunity uh, to really look at this market in a different way. That was really interesting. I wear Lululemon every day, all day. Um, but I did not know this about the running shoes. That's incredible that they're doing yeah. it from just a different perspective and creating and it. Just I, and I grabbed, that's... yeah, I grabbed a pair right away. Of course. Yes. And they are my most, they are my most, um, comfortable shoes by far running shoes. And you know, my husband will tell you, I've got a, a closet full of running shoes, but these are <laughs> my favorite because you know, our bone structure is we're much wider in the box and much narrower in the heels. So it actually fits well. Interesting. Maybe I need a pair too. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the next one is food without borders. Social media unites us globally so we can shop and cook together. Yeah. So this is about the rise of not just Instagram, but also TikTok um, as being a real platform for food and a place where people are um, getting recipes and ideas. And in fact, grocers see run on products that have been, um, touted, you know, think about the baked uh, feta pasta. Most recently, yep. there was a run on dates with some chocolate uh, bar um, mashup. Um, but if, if food trends um, used to start in fine dining, and then they'd go down to quick serve restaurants like a McDonald's and A&W, and then you'd see them on your grocery shelves. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're seeing is it's taking a different path. Uh, so if you think of um, Dalgona coffee, which was a huge trend on TikTok, that whipped coffee, that started with a TikToker in South Korea, right? Mm. So she created that. Well, then you saw Starbucks pick up on that trend with their Via um, uh, product, uh, instant coffee product on uh, grocery shelves. And then you saw Loblaw, Canada's biggest grocer, came out with uh, a Dragona coffee cake um, Mm. in their frozen section. So it's just, it's interesting to see how it's changed in the U.S., which is always obviously a little further ahead of us in terms of technology. There are now apps that allow you to see something on social media, um, click, you get the recipe, and it automatically orders the products you need to make that through Instacart, and it gets delivered to your home. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. You're teaching me all all the things today. Very interesting. Do you think now that would probably dive back into your 2022 trends or 2020 for that matter? Um, do you think that has anything to do with COVID and people getting more comfortable with cooking at home and then sharing it on the internet and then kind of that trend developing? 
Yeah, I think that's one of the uh, fundamental trends. And you talk about past trend reports and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trends, these aren't fads we're talking about. These are trends that are going to play out over, you know, five to 10 years. So they're still in play. So absolutely COVID and even post COVID, we're, you know, hybrid working. We're at home more. We're able to um, spend a little more time cooking. So that's happening. But we're also getting bored of our cooking. So we're looking for inspiration. So absolutely. where do we go? We go to TikTok, we go to Instagram. I I think um, socially there's something else that's really happening as well. Um, I think that we have lost um, sh- the the concept of shared experience with everything streaming on TV now. Uh, you can watch what you want when you want with the exception of sports. There aren't a lot of shared experiences and we're spending more time in our homes and less mm-hmm. with other people. And I think TikTok, frankly, is is sharing is 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 filling that role of the need the human need for shared experiences so it's you know kind of cool that we're all cooking the same baked feta pasta at the same time we're all doing the wednesday dance together you know like it's it's those cultural touchstones that i think are really important and social media is uh filling that void Very interesting. So the next one dives into technology, which we talked about last week with Evan Fraser, technology and sustainability in the food system. Um, But from a trend perspective, you mentioned robots, AI, and connected kitchens. Food automation takes an overdue leap forward. Yes. So this is the rise of robotics. Um, Evan probably talked about it in terms of agriculture, but we're seeing it, you know, in restaurants, in homes, in retailers. Why is that? It's because, you know, Canada, our um, productivity is much lower than other countries, but also demographically, uh, we have an aging population and uh, we are going to have a labor shortage. People are hearing about labor shortages in restaurants, but this is a long-term issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not going to be solved just by um, immigration and things like that. Uh, So what we're starting to see are, you know, um, at retail, if you see, um, you could see smart carts in Sobeys, some Sobeys, they're trying them out where you just put the thing in your cart, it automatically totals it, and then you can just leave. Right. right, you pay through your smart cart. It's also giving grocer lots of lots of good information in terms of how you navigate the store. If you're in the U.S., uh, there's Amazon Go um, stores where you walk in, walk out, and it uses um, software recognition to know what you bought, uh, and it, you automatically pay for it off your smartphone. Uh, in uh, restaurants, we're seeing um, you know repetitive actions like fry cooks. There's Flippy, the fry cook, uh, (laughs) being used for um, doing those French fries. And, you know, robotics can take what, you know, can be a very repetitive and also slightly dangerous, you know, we're talking about things going in hot oil, and do it perfectly and do it 24-7. So, um, lots, lots more robots. And even in the home, we're starting to see more connected appliances, things connected with your smartphone. You know, people have that Instapot that's now Bluetooth enabled. You can, you know, start it on your commute home. Uh, your your fridge can tell you what you're out of. So we're going to see more and more of these smart appliances uh, in the home as well. When it comes to automation, say like McDonald's or um, Fry Flippy, is that what you call it? Flippy, them? yeah. Um, something like that. Do you think it will actually help with the labor shortage issue? Do you think it's one component of a bigger solution? 
Yeah, I think it's one component. I think um, uh, Chris Elliott, uh, who's the um, head economist for Restaurants Canada, was just talking about out of, I think it's 410 industries, uh, the restaurant industry is 408th. Uh, in okay. terms of, uh, yeah, in terms of productivity. So there is a role absolutely for automation. We saw some of that um, during COVID, uh, ordering from an iPad rather than a server. Yeah. Um, so that's that's an example. We're seeing, um, you know, food delivery being done by robots. We're seeing standalone units um, in Toronto uh, and also in some uh, smaller markets. There's that pizza box. Um, I think it's called Pizza Forno, uh, where it's just like a big uh, crate uh, and you can order your pizza and it's made there and it's just a standalone unit. And that makes sense in places that maybe couldn't support a pizzeria, but you still want, you know, a hot pizza pie and you can go and get it. It's ready in a minute. No, it was cool actually. Um, I was driving home with my girlfriends this summer and we stopped at a burger place in rural Ontario and the burger place had this pizza it looks like a food truck almost. Mm -hmm. um, and you should have seen us. All four of us were eating our burgers, but not talking at all and just turning and looking at the machine as the lady was ordering and seeing what popped out. And she said they looked pretty good. So I'm hoping they're yummy. <laughs> I tried. Yeah, I tried one. Uh, there's one over on um, uh, downtown and uh, it's decent, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to win awards, but it's it's absolutely good. And it's it's good if you're, you know, think about two in the morning and you're walking on, you know, Bay Street. Yeah. Hey, it's not bad. Why not, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so the next one is breaking the chains. Localized production offers an alternate to shaky global supply lines. So, yeah, consumer... The, the whole term global supply line was not something a consumer would have known about until COVID hit, right? right. Uh, and then it was front page news. You'd walk into supermarkets, you'd see empty shelves. You're seeing empty shelves again uh, mm -hmm. with um, the Ukraine war, with drought and flooding and California shortages um, because of supply chain. And um, there used to be, you know, so, some people may have read um, Thomas Friedland's book, The World is Flat. And we designed these global supply chains, which at the time served us well. But I think we're starting to see more um, focus on um, food security, on keeping those supply chains um, more domestic, if possible. Um, not just about, you know, you know, not not getting products um, just just in time. Uh, so. You know, it's, it's this concept of eating things in season. And if you think about it, um, you know, refrigeration is a relatively new concept in terms of transportation. Um, and our grandparents and great-grandparents certainly ate with the seasons. Most mm -hmm. of them had cold cellars in their homes, right? Uh, right? So you ate apples, you ate, you know, uh, you ate potatoes, you ate turnips um, in, in the off months. Um, but we're also seen the rise of vertical farms as well within, you know, Canada uh, to uh, grow hydroponic vegetables. Again, if you go into some retailers, you'll see that in-farm units yeah. uh, where they're actually growing um, microgreens and herbs uh, in front of you and, uh, you know, very fresh. Absolutely. It was interesting. Last week, bringing up Evan again, he said the exact same thing about how moving forward, Importing lettuce from California is just not something that's sustainable for 
Canada, Ontario, whatever have you. And um, vertical farming and greenhouses will just be are becoming bigger and bigger, and they will be moving forward too. Yeah, yeah. And there's um, the Weston Family Foundation has that um, homegrown innovation challenge um, with $33 million in prizes, uh, where they're trying to uh, encourage people to find a solution to how do we grow something like a blueberry year round, right? Something that's critical for for health berries. Um, How can we do it in a way that's cost and planet efficient? Absolutely. Okay, next one, closing the loop. Self-contained food systems are the future. Right, so building on what Evan said about, you know, um, importing lettuce from California isn't going to be on anymore. Uh, It's really looking at um, different ways of doing things. As we, you know, with climate change, we're going to see more extreme weather patterns as well. Uh, So we need uh, more creative solutions. Uh, you know, it's California has been hit with all those floods and yet they're not capturing all the water that's running off. It's just going into the ocean. So they're, they're relooking that. Um, but it's looking at things that might have been a waste input and, uh, and taking it and using it in a different way. So upcycling of ingredients, you know, consumers are now seeing products, uh, that, uh, are wearing that as a bit of a badge. You know, we mm-hmm. took something that was a waste stream, Um, maybe the pulp from something, and we've included it into this product to up the nutritionals, up the fiber content um, as well. Uh, So, you know, it's it's about diverting things from going into waste by eating it, and that starts in the home as well. Uh, And with high inflation, I think consumers are really starting to look at the amount um, of waste uh, that they're producing as well. So, Best before dates, you know, understanding that those are um, advice, things aren't bad automatically. Understanding that you can actually, you know, freeze some products that maybe you didn't know. Uh, And then we've seen the rise of some great charities like Second Harvest, uh, where when there's Mm -hmm. extra food, it's, it's being donated as well. Very interesting. Um, Next one from science fiction to science farming, ag innovation sees exponential growth to meet environmental and market needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is farmers um, being on sort of the bleeding edge of climate change and coming up with some new solutions. So most of your listeners would know about GMOs. They would mm-hmm. have heard about genetically modified organisms. So that's um, introducing something to a cell uh, to change it um, and GMOs will be needed uh, in a in, with climate change. You know, uh, coming up with um, drought-resistant wheat, coming up with um, rice um, that can be grown in salt water. So, um, but we're also seeing the rise of CRISPR technology, and CRISPR mm-hmm. technology uh, doesn't introduce something into the cell; it goes into the cell itself and basically accelerates something that that would be happening. So we're seeing products. Um, Um, you know, apples are coming up that uh, don't brown. And, uh, you know, it's it's fairly, fairly new, but uh, uh, I think that's something we're going to see more and more of uh, because of climate change. Um, And the other thing we're starting to see are some product labels that are calling out certain practices that farmers Mm -hmm. are using. So regenerative agriculture, we're seeing that more and more on packaging. Um, 
And that is how the farmers, there's, there's no one agreed definition, but it's basically ha- about soil health um, you know, different farming practices um, that preserve um, the biodiversity. Uh, and so you're seeing that on even cereal boxes right now. And it's interesting to see like General Mills, who's a big cereal producer, they have actually purchased land in the U.S., uh, farmland, uh, and uh, to support those regenerative practices uh, so that they can go through and make that claim on the cereal box. It would actually be nice for myself, consumers, the Canadian food system, if we could get together and come up with a general definition of regenerative agriculture. Because as much as you explained it to us, if people see it on the box and if the people that are doing it don't even have a firm definition, then how are consumers or people that are listening today supposed to understand that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and consumers, you, if you talk to them, they're like, yeah, it's good. I know it's good. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, they think it may be better than organic or it may be the same as organic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's confusing. And now in the U.S., we actually do have a certification that's called regenerative organic. <laughs> oh, even more complicated. Yes, absolutely. No, it's definitely, uh, it's tough to keep up and it's not fair of the food system to ask consumers to do so if we can't even put a definition on it ourselves. And there's so much on the front of package already Oh, absolutely. um, when you're trying to navigate those uh, store shelves. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. The last one, solidarity for sustainability. The future of eco-conscious agriculture is cooperative. Yeah, so this concept of cooperation and industry coming together to solve big problems. Uh, so, from a consumer standpoint, think about the coffee cup. Um, you know how we need recyclable coffee cups that can be used across not just Timmy's but Starbucks and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, industries coming together to try to come up with a better coffee cup. Uh, in terms of um, farming, what does that look like? It looks like everybody across the supply chain working together. And a great example in Canada of that is uh, the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, mm-hmm. right? So um, the bee, the farmers raise um, the cows in a certain way, right? They're grazing on the grasslands, which you know most Canadians don't realize is the second most threatened ecosystem in the world. Um, there's 44 million acres, so it's a big deal. So uh, the cows grazing support the biodiversity of that ecosystem, but then it gets carried through the whole food chain. Um, so uh, you now have um, quick serve restaurants. So for instance, McDonald's has a quarter pounder that yeah. uses that um, sustainable beef. Uh, Walmart uh, is offering um, sustainable beef if you go in there. So it's giving consumers a choice and making sure that choice goes through the whole food system um, so that, you know, if more consumers are willing to pay a little bit more for sustainable beef, then more farmers will, you know, raise their their cattle that way. And it's just this virtual, virtuous circle. Absolutely. Okay. So Final question that I ask every guest that comes on the stew, and it can be related to our topic today, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. So if you had the ears of every Canadian, what do you wish that they knew about the Canadian food system? Great question. (laughs) So, you know, we're lucky. Canada really leads in growing and uh, producing food. 
We don't lead in innovating and adding value to food. So, you know, what I would hope for consumers is that they support local because that supports your Canadian, uh, your communities and and your neighbours, but to continue to push our um, government representatives to invest in the future of food and that added value processing. It drives me nuts to see, you know, we're, we're a huge lentil producer, yep. um, but most of our lentils are sent offshore, processed in, you know, other countries like India and then sold back to us. Right. And, uh, you know, that's not good from an innovation standpoint. It's not good from a climate footprint standpoint. So that would be my hope for the Canadian food system. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Joanne. Hopefully our listeners have a better understanding of the trends that they will see in the grocery stores and at their local restaurants for the next five years. Um, And hopefully we can all start to share that message with our networks and look for these trends and appreciate the Canadian food system overall. So thank you again and uh, have a great day. My pleasure. Thanks, Peyton. That was a great conversation with Joanne. I think the idea of walking into a grocery store, picking up all the items you would like and just walking out and not having to self-checkout or talk to the cashier and bag things four times before they get to the car, I think that's a great revelation and I look forward to that in the future, definitely. Another thing I would definitely take from our conversation today is I I need those Lululemon running shoes. That will definitely be something on my to-do list this afternoon. So thank you for tuning in and please subscribe to The Stew for more.